Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guests today are Charlotte Hindler, a PhD student in finance at Boston College, and Raleigh Heimer, an assistant professor of finance at Boston College as well. We'll be discussing their paper, The Financial Restitution Gap in Consumer Finance, Insights from Complaints Filed with the CFPB. I'll link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Charlotte, Raleigh, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Andrew, for having us. A lot of listeners are probably familiar with the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and its role in consumer complaints and policing financial services firms. But for those who may not have that background, would you be able to give them a little bit of an overview of just what the CFPB is and what it does? Sure. So the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, as we will call it the CFPB, was founded in 2011 in the aftermath of the financial crisis. It was founded with the idea to support consumers of financial services and safeguard them from predatory practices. So if you go to their website, its stated objectives as we speak are three. The first one is to empower consumers by providing tools to better navigate their financial choices. The second one is to take enforcement actions against predatory practices and companies that violate the law. And the third one is to educate both consumers on the management of their finances and companies on their responsibilities. So the Bureau has produced over time a fair amount of financial education material for consumers, covering a wide array of financial products, and has introduced new regulation and practices to hold financial service firms more accountable. At times, it has also taken direct enforcement actions against malpractices in the industry. For example, you may have heard about Wells Fargo employees setting up fraudulent accounts that were hidden from the bank's consumers. The CFPB back then took legal actions against Wells Fargo and made the company pay full restitution to all victims uh, and several additional fines. However, one of the most notable introductions is the system of complaints the Bureau has set up to directly hold financial service firms accountable to their customers. Thanks to the system, every person dealing with a financial product in the country can file a complaint with the CFPB. This happens to a very simple procedure that you can carry out on the Bureau's website or via phone, fax, mail, and email. The CFPB will then contact the financial service firm involved and they will work together to get back to the complaint filer with a response within a couple of weeks. So all these complaints and plenty of material on the other missions of the Bureau can also be found directly on their website. With that background in mind, could you introduce some of the research questions that you set out to answer in this paper and uh, maybe describe a bit how you designed your study to go about answering those questions? We first set out to investigate whether the presence of a regulatory agency changes how financial service firms interact with consumers. We are especially interested in differences across socioeconomic status individuals because there are notable differences in how people experience the financial products. So there is plenty of scientific evidence, for example, on how the provision of financial services differs for consumers with low socioeconomic statuses. Another colleague of ours at BC has one of the first seminar work in this field, highlighting how minorities had a harder time getting a mortgage in the early 90s in the Boston area. And there's plenty of evidence along these lines across many, many financial products, unluckily. 
also there is plenty of evidence that the decision-making process is different across socioeconomic statuses. A recent paper in the Review of Financial Studies last year highlighted that basically individuals with higher income and higher education have a more optimistic outlook on the economy and therefore invest differently. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, with the aim of educating and protecting the everyday consumer of financial products, would suggest a further step in narrowing these differences. So by closely looking at the CFPB, we want to understand whether there are still disparities in the outcomes of consumers' efforts to receive a fair treatment by financial service companies, especially when the regulator might intervene on the consumer's behalf. The answer to such a question also sheds light on the push and pull between consumers and firms, whether or not customers have agency to receive restitution when firms misbehave, for example. We address these questions by using the database of complaints that CFPB has made available on their website. Most notably, the database includes information on how firms resolve the complaints filed against them. There are a few ways in which a complaint can be resolved. Complaints are most frequently resolved as closure with an explanation or closure with an action that does not involve a monetary transfer. In our study, we are most interested in filings that are closed with the firm providing financial restitution to the customer. This happens around 5% of the time. We felt that this type of resolution, the firm giving monetary compensation, is really the most clear-cut case in which firms acknowledge some form of financial wrongdoing against consumers. Guided by this definition, our study then examines whether different socioeconomic groups are more or less likely to receive financial restitution when they file complaints with the CFPB. To this end, the CFPB Complaints Database provides limited demographic information on the filer. Basically, it just says whether the filer is elderly or a service member. Presumably, the CFPB limits the publicly available information in order to help keep filers anonymous. So we had to do something a little bit crafty with the data. Fortunately for us, the data also contains the filer zip code, and this allows us to merge the complaints data to demographic data in the U.S. Census. This allows us to estimate the socioeconomic characteristics of filers. And in our study, what we do is we define complaints coming from low socioeconomic filers if they originate from zip codes with low household median income or a high percentage of African-American population. In our paper, we specifically analyze the likelihood of consumers receiving financial restitution, and we compare how that experience differs from low socioeconomic filers to high socioeconomic filers. With that research design and those data sources in mind, what were some of your key findings? Were there any important robustness checks that you'd like to highlight? We found that complaints filed by low socioeconomic individuals are substantially less likely to receive financial restitution. Uh, To give us a sense of how large these differences are, what we did is really simply, we just sorted complaints into quintiles of socioeconomic status. We found that complaint filed by the lowest socioeconomic quintile is roughly 30% less likely to receive financial restitution than a complaint filed by the highest socioeconomic quintile. And this is over all of the years of data that we were able to study. So in terms of robustness, we were able to analyze whether or not our findings were robust by presenting several different graphical variations of this result and by using a variety of different linear regression techniques. And in particular, and most notably in our regression analysis, we were able to control for the type of financial product, such as mortgages and credit cards, the firm that offered the product, and also some other characteristics of the filer. We were also able to control for the local supply of credit by using a proxy that we developed for mortgage data. 
At the same time that we highlight how robust our findings are, and they truly are extremely robust in the data that we have access to, we just want to exercise some caution because, as I mentioned before, the publicly available complaints data has fairly limited information, especially in terms of filers demographics. The data also gives us no background, no information on the outreach efforts by the CFPB itself. And so we push the data and the robustness checks as far as we can, given these limitations, and we really view our findings as in being internally robust, but we feel confident that our paper should be viewed as a promising starting point in understanding these differences in the resolution of complaints. In the paper, what potential explanations do you consider for the socioeconomic differences that you find in restitution propensity? What might be driving those? And are there maybe temporal distinctions in the data that you find? Yeah, so we consider a series of possible explanations. We start, first of all, with the influence that political administration can have on an agency like the CFPB. The Bureau was set up under the Obama administration and designed to be consumer-friendly, but then Trump took over in 2017, and his administration has been publicly known to have negative views of regulation-directed firms in the financial sector. So we therefore set up analysis to see how financial restitution rates have changed across administrations and over time and across socioeconomic status. What emerges is that whereas overall financial restitution level decreased when passing from the Obama to the Trump administration, something one would expect given the Trump administration views on the financial sector regulation, the decrease is also more pronounced for low socioeconomic status individuals. This is the novelty. This brought restitution differences across socioeconomic statuses to reach an economically significant size, which is the size really was just talked about here. We dig deeper into the mechanism behind this emerging gap in financial restitution between high and low socioeconomic status individuals in a few ways to better understand what is going on. We first look at its timing. So we find that this gap in financial restitution likelihood across socioeconomic statuses arises when Trump is elected and takes office in the late 2016, early 2017. This is even before he appoints a new director for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau in November 2017. We also look into whether the gap may be caused by the CFPB becoming more favorable towards companies that provide those financial products that low socioeconomic status individuals are more likely to use. So despite the finding that indeed low socioeconomic status individuals complain more and likely utilize more certain products like payday loans and credit reporting, we however find that a decline in the number of firms granting financial restitution is present across virtually all financial products, not just the ones targeting low socioeconomic status individuals. So we therefore rule out this other hypothesis. Third, we also look into whether this gap may be caused by the CFPB becoming more favorable towards a certain type of company instead. But we find that the likelihood of granting financial restitution declines during the Trump administration for many companies at once. And these companies are wildly different in size and even previous financial restitution patterns under the Obama administration. So we rule out this possibility as well. So to sum up this, let's say, political influence part of the paper, what we find is that the most likely explanation arises from an indirect effect of the change in administration, whereby firms in the financial sector expected less enforcement by the bureau under the new administration and shifted their baseline behavior. And this shift would appear to have caused the widening of the gap to the significant size we witness. 
This is, however, not the only thing that could be going on in the data. So we consider and control for other three possible explanations. We consider that the gap could result from a difference in the quality of the complaints, whereby low socioeconomic status individuals could be less financially literate and their quest for financial restitution, therefore, a bit less effective. To control for this, we employ textual analysis on the free text that one can provide to describe his or her complaint while filing it with the CFPB. This is a very nice feature of our data. So we look at how different indexes of linguistic complexity and the length of the narrative varies across socioeconomic statuses, but we do not find sizable effects to explain the gap we witnessed overall. We further look into whether complaints from low socioeconomic status individuals have lower financial restitution expectations to start with. But we do not find this. We do not find that complaints from such individuals contain less references to words like refund or alleged fraud than those from individuals with higher socioeconomic status. So we also rule this possibility out. Last but not least, we also look at whether there have been disparities in restitution following direct enforcement actions by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So going back to the start, we look again into the Wells Fargo scandal, and also we had another one, the Navient scandal, that was concerning malpractices in the student loan industry. And we do not find disparities in granting financial restitution across socioeconomic statuses when the firm is closely monitored by the Bureau. So overall, the most likely explanation so far is still related to this indirect effect of political influence that firms in financial sector expected less enforcement by the Bureau under the new administration and shifted their behavior in a way that made the gap arise. You hinted at this in some of your introductory remarks, but I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how this paper builds on or intersects with existing literatures. Our paper connects the two important literatures. First, there's a robust literature that studies how regulations and government policies affect the behavior of financial service firms. Obviously, when the government de- develops a set of regulations, we'd expect to find that most firms comply with such regulations and those that those that do not receive punishment. These regulations then have some economic consequences. There is a robust literature that studies the intended and unintended effects of financial regulations. At the same time, government agencies may de- develop a set of rules and policies, but they also have a lot of leeway in how they enforce these rules and where to devote their resources. What our paper shows is that financial service firms responded to the promise of a defanged CFPB under a new administration before any actual changes to the CFPB had taken shape. Remarkably, we find that firms reduced the amount of financial restitution they concede starting right around the 2016 election, roughly a year before Richard Cordray, an abandonment appointee, was replaced as its director. Our paper shows that firms are tuned to the political tea leaves and respond according to expectations of policy changes. We think that relative to the prior literature, our paper is relatively unique in showing this. The second way in which our paper contributes to the literature is by contributing to the large literature on socioeconomic differences in financial outcomes. There have been many papers in the past that have shown that low socioeconomic individuals receive worse quality financial services and are often targeted by lenders that use deceptive practices such as hidden fees. Some low socioeconomic individuals might have less financial acumen as well, which makes them especially good targets. You might not think this is so problematic given the wealth of financial products available to consumers, except that 
the more conventional and legacy financial institutions are not exactly rolling out the red carpet for such low socioeconomic individuals. This literature is extremely robust. And in my view, it's overwhelmingly convincing that these patterns are there and they're very real. So what our paper builds from this and is it takes this next step by seeing what exactly happens and how this nature of this relationship between consumers and providers of financial services when it is interrupted by the watchful eye of a federal regulatory agency. What our paper highlights is that low socioeconomic groups benefit most from the implicit protections provided by the CFPB. This makes sense if you think about the way that firms have prioritized their relationships with customers. Consider, for example, a setting that many of us have not had the privilege of enjoying over the past year, the airline industry. Airlines tend to give extremely low quality services to budget and one-time flyers, but they bend over backwards for frequent flyers by offering them various perks and giving them priority on everything from boarding to rebookings. Tiered service also happens in the financial services side. Preferred banking services are offered to high-dollar customers. You can get a better mortgage rate if you also keep other accounts at the bank. Considering such an arrangement, it's no wonder that financial service providers would have little motivation to cater to low socioeconomic customers when they are involved in disputes like those that are brought to the CFB. It's only when the federal regulator gets involved that the playing field is leveled for these low socioeconomic customers. What key takeaways from this article and from this conversation would you like listeners to have? I think that first and foremost, our paper highlights that there are these large socioeconomic disparities in people's abilities to navigate the financial services sector. I just want to emphasize that this is crucially important today because it's essentially impossible for people to build wealth without successfully using a range of financial products, from building a credit score to using credit cards to getting a mortgage. That is, maybe unless you've managed to get rich over the last couple of weeks trading GameStop, but I presume that most of the people that are filing complaints to the CFPB aren't in that population. You can think back to the financial crisis and how it originated through mortgage lending to households. Well, there have been large socioeconomic differences in how well people have recovered from the crisis. And much of this can be traced back to the types of mortgage products that people purchased before the crisis took hold. So with these findings in mind, it suggests that limiting consumers' bad interactions with financial service providers might lead to market improvements in their well-being, as well as contribute to wealth building for low socioeconomic groups. In terms of policies that are available, even beyond the CFPB, I've grown to be very favorable towards one policy idea in particular that has been floated around to address some of these disparities. The policy idea is basically to automatically enroll individuals into bank accounts that are operated either by the U.S. Postal Service or the Federal Reserve. I think that doing so has the potential to enable individuals to develop better financial habits while also serving as a gateway to quality financial products. It will also increase competition for better financial services amongst private providers of financial services. This should help discourage much of the predatory and fraudulent behavior by firms that we witness being addressed by the CFPB. These activities are the ones that actually motivate people to file complaints to the CFPB in the first place. Our guests have been Charlotte Hindler, a PhD student in finance at Boston College, and Raleigh Heimer, an assistant professor of finance at Boston College. We've discussed their paper, The Financial Restitution Gap in Consumer Finance, Insights from Complaints Filed with the CFPB, and I'll link to the paper in the show notes for the episode. Charlotte, Raleigh, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much, Andrew. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. 
Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.